Yeah, she'll teach you how to be artistically you. Not afraid to talk about what's taboo. So don't play small. Join the podcast with Nikki Collins. Autism Unmasked. Hello and welcome to today's episode. My name is Nikki Collins and today I'm joined by Mary Nixon Hahn all the way over from the States. And Mary is a author, a CEO, and a humble leader, as well as having a background in the US military and is now a, a veteran and has an absolutely wonderful story and a wonderful outlook on life. And it's a pleasure to introduce her and to be speaking with her today. So, hello, Mary. And how are you today? Hello, Nikki. Thank you for the opportunity to be here. Um, it's it's humid and rainy here in Nebraska, so you know it's called stay inside as much as possible. Otherwise, you're taking another shower, I guess. <laughs> so yeah, no sunshine here. It's all clouds and rain. It's all clouds and not quite rain here. But we went we went wild swimming yesterday, and about five minutes after getting back into the car, the heavens quite literally opened. So I wouldn't have fancied trying to get dry in that. So. That was definitely a well-dodged um, moment. <laughs> <laughs> nice. So you've got a background within the military, within the within the US Army. Can you um can you shed a little bit of light on that and sort of your experiences? Because some people would think, oh, military autism, and other people can see the connection there. And I can see it. And I just, as I say, I just find these things really, really fascinating. Um, well, my military background kind of came around through my dad and stuff. And so uh, my dad was in the Army and the Navy when we were before we were growing up because we're like my dad's second family. So um, I was raised with all brothers and spent most of my time with with boys and played football. So that kind of led to my um, liking of, of the military. Um, as a young person, uh, all of us learned gun safety and stuff. So we were pretty proficient in being able to shoot, which was one of the qualifications for the military, as well as I was very athletic. And so um, I spent a lot of time running and playing basketball, mostly all guy stuff. So it's one of those situations where it's like, well, what am I going to do after school? Well, I wasn't very good in school, so colleges were probably like, you oh, no way. You know, that was, you know, um, I graduated high school in 1986. So, you know, that was back before uh, <laughs> figuring out how to title nine everybody and be able to go on to college. And honestly, I was tired of doing schoolwork. So um, my military experience, I was, I went through basic training, did really well at basic training. Um, for me, the military was a real eye opener because I lived in a town that was was all white. So I've never seen, you know, necessarily people of color. And so the military was kind of a shock to me when I got to uh, to my basic training site in uh, in New Jersey. So um, it was a definite learning curve for me. Um, I didn't know necessarily that it was such a situation where I didn't know 
how to necessarily talk to somebody. I wouldn't talk to anybody. I was quiet and really shy. I was bullied in high school. And so, you know, um, just went through that. And so that kind of opened my eyes to a different uh, situation as far as population and, and what was really out there compared to Lincoln, Nebraska, I guess. Um, went through basic training. Um, I had a, needed a lot of hands-on training because I wasn't real good with books, which is total opposite of now. Obviously, I'm an author, so <laughs> total opposite now. Um, I went to, and I learned how to jump out of airplanes, and <laughs> uh, that's where I actually ended up with uh, a back injury, and so, but I continued on, and you know, um, had traumatic brain injury with the same situation. Um, so I dealt with that going through. So it was a lot of different uh, things. Um, I was qualified a diesel refueler. Um, and I was also a um, mechanic as well. So I was cross-trained in two different areas in the military and um, did that. Um, I was stationed at Fort Bragg and um, we were called up to go to Panama, which fortunately I didn't actually have to go, but I lost uh, a lot of different folks um, in 1988. And so, yeah, it was a three-year stint, and um, it wasn't until after the military that I was diagnosed autistic. So, yeah, um, a lot of good memories, a lot of sad memories, you know, um, sometimes you know, you sit there and you look at our world today and I kind of have that, that man, I'd go in a heartbeat, but then you turn around I have three sons and, and my husband. And so, you know, it kind of limits what you can do, but um, yeah, it's, it was an experience. I have days where I should have stayed in and then there's days where it's like, I'm thankful, but I also understand what goes on as far as the uh, the PTSD, the anxiety, the depression, totally understand all that too, um, which I think uh, kind of overlaps with a lot of the autism factor in our family and stuff. So, yeah. Yeah, that's fascinating. How come you, how did you go from not really liking books or not being able to learn from books to becoming an author? Because that's one heck of a jump. <laughs> Well, it's fun for me because um, back when the pandemic started, I I took time off because I worked retail and I was not real good at wearing masks. So I literally took all my personal time and my sick time. It was six weeks. And I was like, well, now what do I do? (laughs) You know, so fortunately for me, having to teach my uh, youngest son at home, I, I learned Zoom. I learned a lot of different stuff and I just started writing and writing and um, I was actually friends with my publisher and editor on Facebook. And so I will tell you, Nikki, I was the the queen of run on sentences. I didn't know how to use a comma, a period or nothing. Again, going back to, I really stunk at school. (laughs) And so, you know, I just started writing and, and these ladies kept saying, keep writing, keep writing, keep writing. So finally I got to what I thought was the end of my run on chapters that created a book, which in turn turned to two books. So, um, 
I guess my biggest thing was just being encouraged to continue to write. And my editor, <laughs> I had to giggle because my editor edited my first one. And I warned her. I seriously, I sent her an email. I said, good luck, best wishes. I'm the queen of run-on sentences. She's like, oh, I got this. Mm-hmm. She didn't, she, she sent me back the first edits and it was, Nikki, it was in red writing. And I'm like, oh, talk about triggers, high school, because you, know, you get that big red F. And we're like, mm-hmm. yeah, here we go. And so, you know, she made it make sense. And um, so I, <laughs> I, I teased her. I said, you really set off a trigger warning because you, you sent all your edits in red. Why? Why, why green, blue, purple, anything but red. And she apologized. But um, after watching her edit, I think the biggest thing for me was being able to uh, change the mindset, to be able to understand you don't need all the thes, buts, and ands. And so um, he kind of tried to make that work. And then um, my they made a 200-page book. <laughs> look really good but wow. the biggest thing is me knowing with the veteran situation and autism situation um, as frequently as both of them change you kind of have to update periodically so I do a six-month update on my research and stuff mm-hmm. and so it got me into reading more not that I read fast but I also skip read so it's one of those where if it, it's not important to me I skip it. And that's probably in some cases that's good. In some cases that's bad because then I have to go back and reread it. But um, so it got me to where I, I've learned to do a little more closely refined search on things with autism veterans and even just common everyday practices with different stuff. So. Awesome. I know that I would be absolutely lost without my proofreader and she's done an amazing job because as you know I'm writing my first book at the moment and it is no mean feat and it's only when I I have to read the chapters out loud when I've Mm -hmm. finished it and before I send it to her I'll read it out loud usually to my other half I'm like are you sure I'm not boring you (laughs) and (laughs) then she will give me feedback or and it just gives me a chance to see where I can put in some punctuation and the natural flows as if it was a, a conversation. It's really, it's quite challenging. It's quite challenging to do. So what was your book about? Well, you've, you've got two, haven't you? What are they about, Mary? I, I have two of them that are actually per, considered mine. Mine was um, from the inside out. It was me being autistic and working through the workplace Um with literally no support, um, trying to find just one person to listen to me. And um, my overall goal was be to be a member of management um, on an hourly basis because salary, we know how salary goes. <laughs> and so um, basically took you from the time I started with, with the company to when I ended um, in January of last year. So um, it was one of those where you walk through the different phases of how I taught myself, how I learned to speak to other people, um, how I progressed with moving from one store to another and coming back and learning different 
different areas of the stores, um, learning how to to communicate and not not be angry because I had a lot of anger because people they didn't understand me or it was a two way street. There was no communication and nobody understood each other as far as what what am I trying to accomplish or how am I trying to get there? And so um, in my first book, I take you all the way from there. And then I also have a chapter in there where I shared the, the loss of my parents is to understand better where I came from as an autistic person, losing my parents and trying to continue to work and, and having the support system there. And so um, and then from that, I uh, built a strategy guide as a supervisor. How would I act? And it's basically an interaction of how I felt as an autistic person versus how I was as a autistic supervisor. So it's it's one of those where it's uh, it's like a strategy guide. And so um, and both of them are on Amazon. And then I'm a co-author in two other books. Um, one I quit. Um, my chapter is I quit on being underestimated. And then I also took the chapter from my original book and put it in the, um, in a collaboration for grief. And so I, I'm also in there as well. So, yep, that's kind of my journey. (laughs) You got any other plans to do any writing in the, in the foreseeable future? I think once you get that bug, and it's sort of common for a lot of people. Once you've got that bug, it's amazing how the ideas flow. Yeah. I, I have one. I want to really do one to kind of set the stage for my presentations and stuff for uh, veterans and, and the awareness of the situations with the, the suicide scars, the PTSD, the anxiety and stuff. And then I also am looking at... Um, doing one where obviously the commonalities and and the and the similarities with the with the autism and the veterans thing um it's one of those where i like um i i feel like i have a pretty good handle on the autistic side of it but i like uh getting input for from younger veterans as well as veterans in my age range and so that I'm representing everybody and and being able to adjust from that so yeah there's some there's some stuff and that works there the biggest thing is actually putting it to paper yes Um, yes did you find that you had a a sort of routine with your writing to keep you motivated or did you just pick it up as and when you had sort of that inspiration and time I think a lot of it really honestly Nikki is just watching people. I mean, body language and tone of voice and facial expressions say a lot. You know, I follow a lot of different folks. Obviously, I met you on LinkedIn. So, I, you know, I follow a lot of different people. And, um, you know, the biggest thing for me is if you bring up certain stuff, you know, can I follow through with that? Are they willing to allow me to, to go to that point? And I'm not going to dig too deep because. I understand scars, but on the same hand, if you want to tell me, I don't have to write about it, but I'm here for you. And that's, you know, both my communities, I'm the same way. I'm, I'm here for them to, to be able to have that um, ability to speak, but also know that it's, it's between 
them and I, as opposed to, you know, I'm not going to go, yo, Nikki said that, 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 that's not how I rule. I'm a side-by-side leader. The way I'm talking to you right now is the way I talk to everybody. I, you know, I've been yelled at, I've been bullied. I've been, you know, everything. And so the last thing I need is somebody to come off and say, well, <laughs> that's not how this goes. You know, I get it. I'm, I'm one of the few autistic people that can sit in a gray area and see both sides to every story because I made myself do that. Because if I want to be an ally for, for people, I have to be able to agree to disagree and see which direction they're coming from. That's a really important skill to have. And it's, it's a rare one in some cases, in a lot of cases, you just don't know what is going on behind closed doors in somebody else's life. So when they've gone off the handle at something that seems so small and insignificant, so well, what's actually caused that? Because there's always a reason and a why behind what we might call bad behavior. And there's no such thing as bad behavior. It's a language and it's communicating that something is wrong somewhere in that person's environment or life. Yeah. Yeah. And that's just, you know, that's just it. Just because they come off angry at you doesn't mean they're mad at you. It's something that's either triggered or mm. something they've just walked out of their house and maybe their child had a meltdown. Maybe their spouse was just angry. People need to understand that just because somebody's yelling at you doesn't mean it's your fault. You know, um, there's a lot of underliers there. And the biggest thing about that for me is getting them to realize that I understand you're mad and I understand you're not mad at me, but can we talk about it? if they talk about it? Cool. If they walk away, you gave them the option and they know that you care. And mm. that's the biggest thing, you know, kindness goes a whole long ways. Your smile could be the only smile somebody sees all day. You know, it's really that simple. Yeah, it is important. And I think you've just you've just explained it beautifully, really. I also love the fact that you class yourself as a leader rather than a manager, because there is such a big difference between the two things. A leader is there to stand side by side and to encourage and to support. A manager does not do that. <laughs> yeah, well, and a manager, I understand. You know, you're talking corporate retail. You're talking a huge amount of people. I understand they have to go from person to person to person. But when that person that's standing in front of you is is just asking you for 10 minutes of your time. Now, you and I both know you can't take back time. Mm. But I'm just asking you for 10 minutes of input. I'm not asking you to, to go out, do my job for me. I'm just asking for your input because I personally need clarification. We ask for clarification even in my own family. And so if I can't get a manager to clarify for me, then I'm just going to do it. And I'm going to take the responsibility for how it looks, you know. I, I'm a, I, my boys will tell you, I'm a side-by-side -side leader. I just had a teaching class yesterday on how to buy birthday cards. Don't, oh, brilliant. Forget, <laughs> don't, don't forget the envelope. What are you talking about? There is no envelope. It's behind the card. <laughs> you know, I do the same thing with my kids that I would do with anybody that I work with. Come with me, put my arm around them. It's together. 
So, <laughs> yeah, I can soapbox about this all day. <laughs> <laughs> it's it's not a special interest, is it, Mary? <laughs> no, not at all. <laughs> <laughs> okay. So you said that you had your diagnosis when you left the army. Mm-hmm. So how did you get down to the doctor's office? What what prompted you to seek out a diagnosis later in life? Well, I honestly didn't go seeking a diagnosis per, per se. I had to do follow-up because I have disability with the back injury and the traumatic brain injury. Mm. Well, anybody with a traumatic brain injury is already going to have issues with memory, depending upon how they've dealt with the trauma and stuff. And so we were going through a lot of stuff and, you know, going back through my high school and and stuff. Yeah, I knew I was different. I was not your typical girly girl. I didn't like eye contact. I did. There was a lot of things that were there, but was never diagnosed as far as school wise. I went to I graduated with 16 other people, (laughs) you know small school they also didn't get a lot of support so you know we're running through four hours of 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 memories and stuff of what what we know and what we don't know and stuff and I was like oh this all sucks because I you know and understand three quarters of what they were talking about and so you know I'm just like I, I don't know what you want me to tell you because I don't know, <laughs> or I wasn't taught that. I didn't understand this. And some of it was tra- trauma from the, the brain injury, but a lot of it was just really basic stuff that I'm like, I, you know, a simple sentence, you know, mm-hmm. makes no sense to me. A lot of it was, was based off of uh, being able to, you know, Simple in what they said, simple English language made no sense to me. And, you know, I took three English classes as a senior just to graduate, Mm -hmm. you know, Um, and just a lot of it was basic stuff that I was never technically taught. And so, you know, some of that simple stuff I still struggle with, you know, and, you know, people be like, oh, you're really good at what you do. (laughs) I wish you could jump in my head after I do an interview or after I do something like that. People don't understand that, you know, um, it's overwhelming. So the doctor was like, yeah, you know, he could see both sides, the trauma and and the autism. So it was about by the time we got done, it was about 23, 24 years old. And we both know that girls are diagnosed super late anyway. And so um, it kind of, yeah, it went from there. So it's one of those where you sit and you look back and you see the you see the markers. And so, yeah, you just have so many light bulb moments and some of the things that you do suddenly just make sense. Mm-hmm. Oh, I'm not broken. I'm not lazy or stupid or less. It's actually there's a reason I'm autistic. Great. Now I can actually start to do something proactive about that rather than thinking that I'm broken. And you you burnt in the first place. Yep. Yep. So was that quite uh was that a bit of a quite a game changer for you when you had that that realization? Well, 
I always wanted to be an athlete. So I was already an athlete. So in my own right, you know, so um, for me, I think more than anything, it just put a lot of, yep, I'm going to say it, of the puzzle pieces together. Okay. You know, and yeah, I know I, I'm me, you know, you're going to take me for who I am, I guess. Yeah, but, it's you fine. Know, or, you know, you put the pieces together, you know, and I sit there and I look at my boys and literally I have a, my youngest son is what in what they call independence Academy and learning to have a skill for, for future uh, employment. You know, I look at all my boys and realistically it's not complete, complete, but you can see the puzzle in our family and each one has a, you know, a different thing. And so for me, it was more of a, um, okay, cool. Let's go. Now, what do I do to correct it? Oh, well, I had a whole lifetime of correcting because what people thought as anger was really a communication gap for me because people would use words that are 10 letters long. And I'm like, what? You know, I always used to tease my friends, you know, if you get over seven letters, I get confused because it didn't make any sense to me. And so, you know, you start to retrain your brain and 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 learn different stuff and you learn that after a while you yelling at somebody is not going to get you anywhere it just makes it worse and so you know you start to scale back and and look over different things and yeah do i wish i had done things differently if i would have known yeah you know and Uh, it's one of those hindsights you know i can't change the past i can't even change yesterday so, you know, I always ask my friends, how many days are there in the, in a week? And they're like, well, seven, of course. I said, nope, there's just one today. And they're like, wow. You know, so you can't change yesterday. You don't know about tomorrow. So do what you can do today. Exactly. What's that old quote? Uh, Yesterday is history. Tomorrow is a mystery. Today is a gift, which is why they call it the present. Mm-hmm. Yep. Yeah. yep. So makes sense. Makes sense. We spend our if, if, if we're anxious, we are in the future. If we're depressed, we're too far in the past. So actually, when we can train ourselves, and I'm not talking um, like training, like ABA sort of training. I'm thinking training from our own steam and changing our life in the direction that we want it to be changed and actually just living in the current moment. It's one of the reasons why I love wild swimming so much because you have to be in the current moment because you have to control your breathing because if you don't, the water is very cold. So you're going to get yourself into trouble very quickly and then you then you look at the surroundings and think about how beautiful the surroundings are and you realize that not a lot else matters really apart from what's happening in that moment and how lucky you are to be so privileged to be in that moment yep yep mate you know that's that's one of our biggest sayings in our family is you know everybody gets a hug and a kiss and you know and i love you because are we all technically going to wake up tomorrow? We're not guaranteed tomorrow. Just as much know. as we as much as we plan for tomorrow or the next day or the next day, in reality, are are we going to get there? You know, and that's you know that that's why we talk 
in our family so much about just living for today, you know? So that's the best way to be. It really is. I think it is. Help. I'll never let my other half leave the house without without a kiss and a cuddle. So, hey, where do you think you're going? Come here. <laughs> but that's a shit, you know, everybody goes out the door. Yeah. You know, we'll see you later, or at least an I love you because it's a crazy world out there. <laughs> exactly if my son says i love you before he goes out anywhere and he's 16 so <laughs> dad didn't say that <laughs> yeah well my youngest is 19 so i got a bit <laughs> <laughs> is your youngest uh, have they turned human yet or are they still in that teenage development stage <laughs> um he actually is kind of he, he, most days he's teenager he has his days where he has that moment of, I just, I need to detune. I need to walk away. Um, mm. He does really good. Um, I really wish he would never figured out how to Google stuff, but, <laughs> <laughs> you know, <laughs> um, he's learning at a different pace now. I think um, learning to do different stuff for job skills and stuff. Um I have probably the most organized office I've ever seen in my life. He needs to quit touching stuff because he moves it and can't find it. Oh, no. Um, <laughs> you know, and he's taken responsibility for shredding and doing trash. Um, the last year is really, he's, he's uh, really come around to doing different stuff. And uh, chores are now like his, his job. So I love that. And so, um, He's coming, he's coming along a, a lot better now than I think when he was, I think he got in his senior year of actual schooling, he, he got bored because it was yeah, nothing. The, he, he didn't pick up really anything new. He continued to learn, but by the time he got to the last quarter of school, mom, I'm ready to be done. Aren't we all? <laughs> But yeah <laughs> so so but this has been cool because each quarter of school now is is different for him and so he's he's learned a lot um and i'm really impressed so good good for him long mate continue i'm sure that he will do whatever he can set his mind to given time so you you was working in walmart for some time Yes. And now you're actually consulting um, with parents of autistic children. So, again, that's another quite a big jump. How did you get into into that realm other than being autistic yourself and wanting to make some changes? Um, And a lot of it has to do with uh, myself and my boys. But um, I uh, sit on our Autism Family Network board and... You know, people, um, I have several at the end where my son is at as far as going to different academies to learn life skills and stuff. But I also stay in touch with folks that have newly diagnosed uh, children as well as people that just need uh, some guidance and stuff as far as what to do next. Um, and so... You know, it's it's basically being who you are mm. and what you have to offer. And, you know, even though I'm at the, the opposite end with the kids going into uh, working, 
Um, that's part of my six months research. You know, you stay in touch with what's going on because I have two grandkids. So, you know, you got that them to worry about. So, you know, you stay in touch with that. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I, uh, work with, uh, folks that, uh, I work with on the autism family network board and different areas there. Um, we also have, uh, vocational rehab for for kids that are like my sons and stuff and uh, stay in touch with them and able to kind of walk families that just need the extra hey I'll help you do this you know you don't have to do it alone yeah type, you know because it's it's no fun when when you have to do everything and and you know you lose track of your own self-care because you've dove headlong into um you know three boys, myself, my husband, you know, you forget that, that somebody just needs, you know, a little encouragement, a cup of coffee, five minutes to, you know, vent or, or longer, depending upon time. So, you know, I just want to be that person that is more than willing to walk with people. Um, I'm learning different areas as far as uh, behavioral health and stuff as well. And so, um, it's just being a friend, being somebody that's going to give a listening ear. And, and most of all, just give them the right directions because, you know, many times we're taught different directions. So exactly. Especially when it comes to the diagnosis of autism and your children, so many people where you automatically, you take to Google the Oracle of all knowledge and you get told that it's a deficit and your person's life is basically written off. And, and the amount of people that I've spoken to and they've been told that either themselves or a child will never amount to anything because they're autistic, it's the biggest load of codswallop ever. It's just <laughs> rubbish. And sometimes you just need to have that one voice and it's all it takes for people to realise that actually this isn't a death sentence this is just my child. It's another way of being. And we need to find a different set of rules to work with because this rule book that we was given along with the rest of society is not going to work for my person. And it's yeah. you that gives, can give people hope. Yeah. And, and that's just it. It's, you know, the one thing that I, I've always, you know, understood was that I understand everybody has expectations for their kids. Yeah. I had a son that played college football. Cool. Mm. I have a son that's an artist. And I have a son that that just is like the greatest organizer or whatever he does. I don't know. But, um, you know, I think people think, like you said, you know, the word autism is a death sentence, but I think people need to change that mindset. Okay. Autism. And you join a few groups. If you understand, I I got two groups, three groups that I follow that they post a lot about the positives because, you know, in all reality, the negatives are nobody else's business, but your family's business. And so, you know, Posting positive stuff is good because then it gives you an insight. So if somebody wants to ask you a question, 
you know, then you can give a testimony to what, you know, goes on. But as far as the negatives, nobody needs to know about that. You know, all people need to know about my kids is they're doing well. They've achieved their goals, you know, and if they have more questions, cool. But, you know, in all reality, autism is not a death sentence to me. I think it's, it's a unique ability to be able to design your life the way you want it. You know, not, not that anybody else can't design their lives, you know, and honestly, what's normal. I have no idea. Somebody at some point decided what normal was and everybody or a lot of people followed. And I have no idea. I back away. I think it's boring. Normal is boring and scary. I don't like normal. (laughs) You know, and and you you touched on it too. You know, I I don't know about you, but mm, my kids show an extreme amount of empathy, love. Oh, my goodness. Totally. Some days it's like, dude, back up. (laughs) <laughs> you know but i think people again i think that's another thing of you know we know our children and if people would actually look at our children watch their body language and their facial expressions you will know that that they have more empathy than probably you and i put together they're just learning how to express it exactly if you looked at my stepdaughter people would say who didn't know her would say oh she's such a quiet child and then when you get her in her own environment she is nothing but quiet she's the total opposite which is why I had to walk out of the house the other day after she was talking about potatoes for 30 minutes straight (laughs) (laughs) this is a quiet person well I'd I would be interested to see her if she wasn't quiet because it's not my experience of this person. <laughs> yeah, I had to giggle because uh, during my youngest son's uh, early years. So, what would you like Jonathan to do? I said I would like to, you know, have a few more words because words were hard for him. And now I'm thinking, what was I thinking? <laughs> you know, but usually, Final last words. <laughs> usually, the quiet ones are the loudest ones. So. Yes, I, I I can be very very quiet. I'm more of a listener when I'm out in social se- situations and settings, and then when you get me on the right day, or the, there's a pause, and I've actually managed to keep up and have a conversation in the right place. <laughs> yeah. I, I um I, I you can't shut me up. That's it. It's like someone's pressed a button or a switch. It's on Nikki on speak mode. <laughs> Yeah, I get the same way. People are like, you don't have nothing to say. And I'm like, I'm just intaking. And then when they're like, so Mary, what do you think? On, uh, here you go. And they're like, oh, yeah, never mind. (laughs) You asked. (laughs) Exactly. If you wanted to, you should have asked a more specific question. (laughs) <laughs> yep, yep. okay right well we're coming to our the end of our time speaking together and before I we part ways do you have any words of wisdom to pass on to a, a pet parent or a family of someone that's just been newly diagnosed seeing as that is the line of work that you are now focusing on or have fallen into <laughs> I think for me, when you see a newly diagnosed family and stuff, because I kind of went through that with my brother is, 
you know, it's okay to grieve. I get that. But on the same hand, you look at your child. They're with you. They love you regardless. And I think the biggest thing is now that you know the diagnosis, get to know your child. Watch your children because you know what? In all reality, they're going to teach you what you need to know to get them help. Um, A lot of times, you know, and that's something I literally just learned in the last five or six years. Instead of always answering for your child or pushing them away, let them speak their body language, their facial expressions, even their tone of voice, you know, Mm. is going to tell you what they need. I think we as parents always think we have to speak for our children, but in all reality, if we just watch our children, they will tell us what they need. That reminds me of years ago, a friend of mine, I was grumbling about my son. He was only small and I was grumbling about him. And she said, just slow down, slow down and view life as if you're viewing it through his eyes for the very first time. And I took that and I did. But of course, I took it to the extremes and we would be out walking. I'd be like, oh, look at that cool thing. Look at that. Oh, wow, wow, wow. And I'd be pointing out all the things. Like, Mom. Yeah. And, you know, you, you sit there and we point at butterflies and stuff that fly. Mm. When in all reality, my son likes the texture of the tree. Okay, cool. So what is it about the texture that makes my son happy? And mm. A, it doesn't move, B, it doesn't make noise, but C, it stimulates his feelings and his hands, his sensitivities and stuff, you know, and that's his way of grounding through nature. Mm, my way of grounding as well. I use water and walking in the forest. Yeah, people use, I have pictures on my phone. I said to my editor on occasion, have you hugged a tree today? It's literally me hugging a tree. It's just, just, it's a grounding mechanism. I love tree hugging. It's just so nurturing. Yep. And I love, I'm a, I'm a goose fan. I love watching geese and my editor knows that too. So I start giggling. (laughs) And so I'll send her a picture of a goose and then I'll send her a picture of a tree. So have you talked to a goose and hugged a tree today? I'm always talking to my animals because, well, I'd say they don't answer back, but that's a lie. They do. Oh, they do. <laughs> they absolutely they, do. And they could, cats could be bitter. So watch out for cats, man. They, 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 they're, they're, they get back at you, whether you know it or not. <laughs> yeah. My cat's yeah. next to me right now, currently asleep. So it's all good. <laughs> there we go. <laughs> Well, thank you so much for joining me today, Mary. It really has been a pleasure speaking to you. And we could talk for a lot, lot longer, but I need to actually uh, be mindful of how long our episodes go on for. And as I say, it's been a pleasure talking to you. You are doing some amazing things and long may that continue. So keep it up and um, yeah, enjoy enjoy your week and the rest of the year ahead, I guess. <laughs> yeah, I appreciate that. And thank you for, for taking the time to uh, do what people, 
I wish would do more of is get to know me because once you get to know somebody, I think you see a different angle and that's, that's kind of where I come from. And so um, I'm not loud, not obnoxious. I'm just a person and I'm a kind person. So, and I appreciate the time and uh, over here, it's the 4th of July weekend. So um, Mm. I'll be barricaded in my house. (laughs) (laughs) I do not blame you. I do not blame you. Well, enjoy being barricaded in and having (laughs) some downtime, some peaceful time, I suppose. Yep. Yep. Five day weekend with my husband. So, yep. Lovely. And for our listeners, don't forget to subscribe to the podcast so you never have to miss an episode again. Thanks for tuning in to the podcast with Nikki Collins, Autism Unmasked.